You grew up knowing you could do anything. As a soldier in the U.S. Army, you'll test your limits and feel the pride of doing things you never thought possible. With guaranteed training in one of more than 150 career fields, up to $40,000 cash enlistment bonus, you'll earn a steady paycheck, get money for college, and gain valuable experience while you learn how to be a valued team leader. To find out more, call your local Army recruiter or visit us at GoArmy.com. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. You're listening to From the Cheap Seats with Chris DeLambert and Brandon Atkins. You may not like your seats, but you'll love the show. Welcome to From the Cheap Seats. I'm Chris DeLambert. Professor Trent Nichols and I holding it down this morning. We will see who else makes it in. We got people spread to the four winds this morning. (laughs) Trent, big weekend of football. Yes. What jumped out at you, sir? Well, what jumped out at me at first is uh, Patrick Mahomes. I uh, I'm uh, quite impressed, and I think I've been a little hard on the guy, trying not to believe. And I don't know if that's the Bronco fan in well, me. Well, funny talking. that you characterize it that way—that you've been a little hard on the guy. Because I think the national media has all been hard on the guy, if you know what I'm saying. Yes, and that's what drives me nuts. So I don't know if that's helping me root for him to become normal. So I'm interested to hear your evaluation of what you saw Sunday night because I have my own take, and I don't want to. I don't want to cloud things i want you to just riff about pat mahomes for a minute i think the first half was very telling and i thought he was having trouble recognizing the coverage and he was missing some some wide open uh passes down the field that could have led to touchdowns and then you kick three field goals and that's not going to get it done well to me he showed that he's an intelligent enough guy that the adjustments that they made at halftime and the way that he played and was able to adjust to what the Patriots were giving him impressed me. Now, he's a hard guy to contain because he can scramble out and make these ungodly contorted body throws everywhere all over the field. So that's going to be something that the defense has really got to adjust to. But they're playing that style of offense that we actually talked about on TV where you have a split second to read that uh, defense if you're going to hand off the ball or you're going to pass. And he didn't do it that bad. See, I mean, I, he looked me, fairly me, well to me. Let, me. let me jump in here because Pat Mahomes definitely has an amazing skill set. He's a yeah. mobile kid who keeps his head down, keeps his eyes down the field when he's under pressure. And the kid can fling it. The refined parts of playing quarterback yet aren't there yet. Yeah. They may come and they may not. I mean, we've seen kids that have been flashing the pan and and have not become the next great quarterback. He's in a great situation. He has the physical tools. I hope he doesn't read too much of his own press. But my takeaway from Sunday night in particular and up through this I think that Kansas City offense poses problems to defenses across the league that are just on a level that nobody else is doing. When you have to double Kelsey, because that's what the Patriots did. They said, look, we're taking away Kelsey. 
Yeah. Figure out something else. And the Broncos did the same thing two weeks ago. Yeah. They took away Kelsey, and it, it had an impact. And, yes, the Chiefs adjusted. But how many other teams have a player as dynamic as Tyreek Hill? And then also can trot out Kareem Hunt. Mm-hmm. And this host of receivers at you. There's so many weapons. My question coming out of that game has nothing to do with Pat Mahomes. And I'm I'm a little I guess I'm surprised that he played as well as he did against Belichick. But do you realize now Belichick against quarterbacks that are under 25 years old since 2001 in Foxborough is 24 and 0. <laughs> He's got the formula. Yeah. He will beat a young quarterback. This game, to me, was not about Mahomes. It was about Tyreek Hill. And I think Tyreek Hill had a bit of a coming out party. And I'm going to be interested to see where this elevates him to. Where does this vault him? I was having a conversation with some guys the other day about the best receivers in football. And I think today the conversation for the top receiver in football begins and ends with Antonio Brown, period. I agree. Is that fair? Yep. Beyond that, you've got a couple of guys that are up there that are these physical freaks of nature. Julio Jones and A.J. Green, to me, are that next couple of guys. Tyreek Hill, to me, is the fourth best receiver in football. Hmm. And he does not have the pedigree. He does not have the the track record of the rest of these guys. But at this point, in year three, I think he's the, I think he's the fourth best receiver in football. You cannot cover this guy. There just aren't corners out there that can keep up with his speed. And what he did inside of two minutes on that route where he just twisted the safety around and ran past everybody, where do you see acceleration like that? During the post game, I don't even remember which one of the talking heads said it, but they said, and it might have been Ladanian Tomlinson said, when you see guys that are that fast, they're they're generally track guys. Tyreek Hill, when you watch his body control, when you watch his instincts, he is a football player first who has legitimate world-class speed. This is the type thing people have tried to do with back in our day. Remember Ronaldo Nehemiah? Mm -hmm. He was a gold medal hurdler. James Jett. James Jett. They've... Football teams have always been enamored with this type of explosive speed. And we're not talking about Deshaun Jackson fast. We're not talking about, you know, any of that. We're talking about Ben Johnson, Carl Lewis. I'd like to see this kid in a race in the Olympics. I'd like to see him race Usain Bolt. Yeah. I mean, this kid is so... Fast, You just don't see that and see the combination of hands, instincts, and understanding of what's going around, going on. I think that's the story. And if I was a defensive coordinator, I would be terrified trying to figure out how to get, keep this kid from getting loose. Mahomes, nice. He, he's nice. He's a very good quarterback. And what he's doing is historic. It's unprecedented. All of that. But when I look at it, is he going to be Dak next year? Well, that's a great question. 
My my thing is, is if you look at Mahomes, what does Mahomes do on a football field that Brett Favre couldn't do? What does he do on a football field that John Elway couldn't do? What is it? You know, the, the top shelf quarterbacks. Mahomes right now is putting up nice numbers, but I can think of four or five, six quarterbacks right now. I'm like, eh, the conversation's right there. I mean, if in a vacuum, I Brady showed last night. You need to win a ball game. Brady's going to be your guy. Brady still up at the top of that list. Ben Roethlisberger in a in a tight physical game against Cincinnati came through in the clutch. There's some other guys out there. Aaron Rodgers when he's not playing on one le- one leg, where defensive coordinators are like, all right, we need to take away what these guys can do. Pat Mahomes falls into that category. When you look at Tyreek Hill, what are you going to do with him? You're going to come up and try and play him tight and bump him? Oh please. If that kid gets a step on you, if you miss, he's gone. You're gonna play. You're gonna step back and play zone and keep him in front of you. He's got the type of speed where keeping him in front of you doesn't make a whole lot of difference because the angles he makes you take are contrary to anything you've ever done in your football life. So, but that comes back to Mahomes being able to get him the ball. Sure. And in the first half, the Patriots weren't letting him have that time. And they were rattling him just enough to contain him. And I think that's what it – you know what? Honestly, I came into this game thinking the Patriots may lose. But you know what? They're getting a blueprint of what they have to do to get to the Super Bowl. Well, And, and, and I wouldn't have put it past Belichick. For- let's not show them everything we got and let's see what they got. So AFC Championship time or wherever it may be, We'll take them down. And we've got a long way to go before yep. we get to the AFC Championship. Today, I think if you're taking predictions, those are probably your two safest bets. Yeah. I think Kansas City is the best team in the AFC. Now, they have a big game coming up on Sunday night. The Bengals-Kansas uh, City game at Arrowhead has been flexed. It's in prime time. It's going to be a good matchup. And you've got a Bengals team that is salty mm-hmm. coming off a loss to Pittsburgh where they kept their composure. They did what they thought they needed to do. They talked all week about being the smart bullies, about being physical but not getting the post-possession penalties, not not getting the unsportsmanlike type stuff. They did a good job with that. They employed a scheme that they've employed against Big Ben before that they call – Mike Zimmer developed it. It's a mush rush. And people are talking about, well, the pass rush for Cincinnati was non-existent. Nope. The pass rush was exactly what they wanted it to be. They don't want Ben out of the pocket. Yeah. And they managed to keep him in the pocket because they figure if we keep him in the pocket, eventually he's going to make a mistake. They had a couple of close calls on some interceptions. They did enough to keep that game tight. It was apparent by the way they ran the offense. They didn't want to get into a shootout. They managed to do that. They come down with a minute and a half left. They punch it in for a touchdown. Marvin Lewis, if he had it to do over again, I am certain would have tried to do what Tom Brady did and run that clock down to nothing before they punched in the touchdown. The difference in that game was they needed a touchdown to go on top, not a field goal. You get cute trying to run the clock down when you're when you're trying to punch in a touchdown. You do it at your at your own peril. So Ben comes back. Gets close to midfield, and on third and 10, there's a phantom holding call. And instead of fourth and 10, you've got a new set of downs for Pittsburgh. They get down, and they're in that sort of 52, 53-yard field goal range with 17 seconds left. 
clock stop, they come out of the timeout, and they run a pick play for Antonio Brown. I get that the NFL doesn't call the pick very often. When it's that egregious, you have to make the call. Well, they did say after the game that the defensive guy made the contact first, so it's not a pick. Trent Nichols, <laughs> did you watch the play? Hey, you I'm say just, he created the contact. I'm just saying that's what the NFL oh said. Oh my God, he initiated the contact. When has the NFL, the NFL never said? doubled down on a bad call? My man, <laughs> that's We're what four Roger yards and down Roger the field and Tony McRae is in a bear hug from Justin Hunter. <laughs> And, and 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 here's the thing. It's hard to get too upset about it because every team in the league runs a pick play. Yeah. Normally when you see the pick play, it's down in goal line type situations or you're trying to pick up a yard or two. It was a great play design. The Bengals should have seen it coming. It was a, hey, we're sorry about the uh, touchdown that Connor scored when he was down on the one. We'll, well give you, you this know, pick it's play. It's funny. And that, that falls. I watched the replay and I said, dude, the ball wasn't over the line when his shoulder and arm hit the ground. He's down. It was close, and it was a little bit arrogant, I think, for Mike Tomlin not to challenge it. I watched the entire game. That was one of the one of the games I watched in total. Tomlin should have challenged it. He should have. And and when you've got a play that's that close, take a shot at it. Now they had a play before that earlier where Tomlin did challenge and lost on a similar type situation where, and I had never seen this before. Juju Smith Schuster caught a pass was being tackled, and you know the the rules in the NFL and in all of football is that if any part of your body other than your hands or feet touch the ground, you're down. The first time in my life I ever saw a play challenged, the first part of the body of Juju Smith-Schuster to hit the Juju Smith-Schuster, say that a couple times, to hit the ground was his head. He was being rolled up as he went up, took the ball away from Darquez Denard, and came down on his head at the one-yard line. He's down. Tomlin challenged it. Yeah, he was. I mean, it was the right call on the field. Tomlin challenged it, lost the challenge, and that probably dissuaded him from challenging the counterplay. Well, he also and figured, shoot, we're at the that's right. pinch line. But the Bengals held. And it ended up being Which a big play in the know. game. We'll see you on the other side of the break. You're listening to From the Cheap Seats. <coughs> Krista Lambert, Brandon Atkins, two American patriots trying to make sports talk radio great again. The V Foundation and board member Robin Roberts are dedicated to declaring victory over cancer by funding cutting-edge research. Jim Valvano's greatest legacy is the V Foundation. You can help join the fight, give the gift of time. We need passion, we need teamwork and momentum. The time to act is now. There's not a moment to lose. Every dollar counts, every day counts. To find out how you can join us to defeat cancer, please visit JimmyV.org. Welcome back to From the Cheap Seats. All right, welcome back to From the Cheap Seats. Running down the NFL from this past weekend. We're um, about to put a bow on this Bengals-Steelers game. Um, in the last, well, since Ben Roethlisberger became the starter in Pittsburgh, what's his record in Cincinnati, Trent? Do you know? Do you know? Do you know? Do you know? No, not off the 15 top of my and head. two. Yeah, I was going to say like 12 and one. And then the game that he missed 
They won anyway. So since Ben Roethlisberger, in the Ben Roethlisberger era, they are 16-2. and two. And we've talked about this before. The dynamic in the AFC North is in, it's bizarre because the way things work, the Ravens give Pittsburgh fits. Pittsburgh absolutely owns the Bengals, and the Bengals generally beat the Ravens. And it's this you know, triangle of terror where they just beat beat the crap out of each other. Um, Cincinnati had a chance on Sunday to make a statement and say, hey, look, we're a legit royal program in the AFC. We're in that top three, four. If we catch a couple breaks, stay healthy, we can, you know, we can make a run at this thing. That's why the NFL flexed that game. Mm-hmm. And in, But, you know, what they were hoping for was a 5-1 and one Cincinnati team coming into an undefeated KC team. Instead, they get Kansas City at 5-1 at, uh, and one and the Bengals at 4-2, and two, which is still a good matchup. And it's a compelling matchup because you've got two teams that are going to fling it around the yard. One thing, if you're, if you're betting this game, Pay very close attention to Gio Bernard's status this week. If Bernard plays, it adds a completely different dynamic to the NFL. Bernard might be the best screen running back in the NFL. That was something that was missing from that Pittsburgh game. Um, But it's another layer. So it's not a season ender. This game didn't save the season for Pittsburgh, but it was a big deal, and it tightens things up in the north. So now you've got Cincinnati and Baltimore at 4-2, and Pittsburgh at three, two, and one. Yeah. Uh, so it's a dogfight, and all those teams have still got to play each other at least one more time. In fact, I, yeah, it is one more time. All right, now along those lines, the Bengals need to dominate the mush rush. They need to keep dominate Mahomes it? in the pocket. No, they're gonna they're gonna come after Mahomes. They're gonna let the dogs loose. They will they will blitz Mahomes from every different angle really? and try and get. Really, I think head. you'd go the other way and try to keep them nah, contained. That's what's gonna happen. I promise okay. you. Well, you know more on that than I do. I promise you, they will come after this kid with everything. They will blitz from every angle, and uh, if Kansas City can't do a good job up the middle, Geno Atkins will have a big night. That's that's gonna be that's gonna be the 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 condition for the Bengals is whether or not they can create pass rush right up the middle with Geno Atkins. How much um, is Burrage going to get fined for his elbow in parentheses to uh, probably Antonio get suspended. Brown? <laughs> I mean, uh, Vontez Burfecht has picked up this, this reputation deserved or not as the dirtiest player in the NFL. No. Um, there's history there. It doesn't look good. Um, given all of the, you know, hoopla about CT and the rest of that stuff, helmet to helmet, and the rest of it, he'll probably catch a suspension. He hurt his own player a little bit more. Than he does that with proud. regularity. <laughs> it, it would not be the first time Vontez Burfecht has knocked his own player out. And frankly, and this is as I own a Vontez Burfecht jersey, Vontez Burfecht is one of my favorite players of all time. Burfecht is not back at 100% right now. Um, and in coverage, he's an absolute liability and I don't know if it's the suspension and not getting back into game shape. I don't know what's going on with him, but he's not the same player he has been. Now, if he gets a chance to take a, a chance to take a shot at you, he's one of the toughest guys out there. But I saw something. Hell, Vance McDonald broke a tackle from Burfecht. You don't see that. There's something going on with him. Yeah. It could be that he's just getting long in the tooth and the beating is taking his toll. I don't know. But Burfecht, if they subtract him back out of that defense – 
it's not going to have the impact that it would have three or four years ago. That's just real talk. Um, one thing that is a little concerning is this past weekend, a lot of drops on both sides of the ball, which sort of feeds into what I talked about a few weeks ago. I think you were absent that day where I went on a tirade about gloves in the NFL mm-hmm. and how these guys just don't drop balls anymore. Ball hits them in the hands. It's stuck. Watching that Pittsburgh-Cincinnati game, drops on both sides of the ball all <laughs> over the place because there was a mist going on. Yeah, And it mitigated the gloves. And I stand by it. I think that the easiest way when we look at this and, and, and at some point somebody's got to decide the offense is out of control. We're really not interested in watching teams put up 40 points every week because it doesn't mean anything. I think the easiest way to bring the offenses back down to earth, take the gloves off the receivers. We'll see. I don't think anybody's listening to me, and and there's too many casual fans out there that like 43-40. Yeah. Um, I'm a whole lot better with 17-10 with people getting popped in the face, but that's just me. All right, so talking about the AFC North, flip on over to Baltimore, Tennessee. Baltimore with 11 sacks on the day. 11. 11. Dude, that's Madden numbers. 11 sacks, franchise record. They shut out the Titans 21-0. And this Titans team is sort of Jekyll and Hyde. They've played some games. They won some games they should not have won. They've got to figure out how to move the ball with some regularity. Yeah. First of all, I think that starts with deciding who our featured tailback is. Is it going to be Deion Lewis or is it going to be Derrick Henry? They're trying to employ these guys in tandem. I think they just need to keep pumping the ball to one or the other and get them in a rhythm. Neither one of these guys is really doing a whole lot. And in in the passing game, they are limited in the weapons they have. But I think it's safe today to go ahead and say Mariota's a bust. Is that a fair statement or is that too is that too deep? Mm. I think he's coming back from an injury, so I don't know Isn't exactly he always? how. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know if I label him a bust. Okay. Not yet. Not yet. I'm huh? going to hold out hope for him. All right. The Jags. The Jags are an interesting situation. Are they interesting or were they interesting, well, you know, six months ago when we thought, oh, wow, these guys are for real? Well, we had somebody on the – on the show, pick them to go to the Super Bowl. I think so, that happened. Yeah. Uh, I thought they were going to be the second best team in the AFC. I didn't see the Chiefs being as good as they are. But, man, the Jags, the defense is getting blown up. Uh, obviously, Blake Bortles is still their quarterback. So, Dude. Bortles, you know, Jacksonville committed to him in the offseason. And they had the opportunity to sort of blow up the offense – and, and evaluate and say, Bortles, it's been fun, but you're not the guy to get us to the next level. And this was a situation where there were alternatives during the offseason. I honestly think that if they'd have made a run to bring Eli Manning down there, they would have. That may seem funny to people, given how badly it's going <laughs> in New York for Eli Manning. Yeah. But Eli Manning's shown, if you give me a top-shelf defense in a running game, I can win you a Super Bowl. Yeah. I've done it twice. Teddy Bridgewater was out there and available. Case Keenum, Kirk Cousins, those guys were all out there. And Jacksonville, instead of – I wish they would have gotten Keenum. Well, instead (laughs) of saying Bortles can't deliver 
and take us to the next level. They doubled down, and now they're married to this guy. He is garbage, Trent. Mm-hmm. He's horrible. And he's he is not able to elevate anybody around him. I hear people talk about, well, Fournette's not in there. Fournette's not in there. Dude, TJ Yeldon's running the ball just fine. Yeah. I don't think it's a, an issue with Fournette. You have to be able to throw the football in today's NFL, and they cannot. And there are so many big personalities over on that defense. I think you've got civil war coming in that locker room right around the corner if it hasn't already started. Um, Dallas humiliated them. And if anybody watched that game, you could watch the Jaguars' spirit be broken as that game went on. And by the time it was over, they didn't even want to be out there. Now, flip around to Dallas. I texted a colleague of mine in in, uh, Texas who's a huge Cowboy fan, as everybody in the Southwest is, it seems, and told him in no uncertain terms, my quote was, if Garrett runs this offense for the next two months, Dallas wins their division. Dak Prescott, we talked about Pat Mahomes' skill set and what he can do. Dak Prescott in year three, we've figured him out. Yeah. We know what he is. Jason Garrett has been predisposed to turning this kid into a drop-back passer. That is not his game. He's not accurate with the football. He doesn't push the ball down the field well. But he creates a problem that very few quarterbacks in the league do. He's Cam Newton light. Mm -hmm. That is a big, big mobile man. Let him create, whether it's getting out of the pocket and making plays down the field or whether it's just running with the ball. Prescott this weekend had his biggest rushing uh, his biggest rushing day ever. Nearly 100 yards. Zeke Elliott had 106 yards. If those guys combine for 150, it's a great day. If Zeke is getting 100 of those, and Dak is getting 50, that means Dak caused you fits, and that's a great day. Mm-hmm. That's what the Dallas offense needs to look like. And maybe it offends Jason Garrett's sensibilities. Maybe he feels like he's not an offensive genius if he's running, you know, if his quarterback's creating rather than the things coming in the, uh, in the design of the offense. I don't know. We'll finish that thought on the other side. Thanks for hanging out with us. You're listening to Krista Lambert and Brandon Adkins on From the Cheap Seats, a production of Cheap Seats Radio. Are you ready to sell your home and don't know which realtor to choose? Well, not all realtors are the same. I'm Crystal Copas, and I don't just stick a sign in the yard, throw it in the MLS, and hope to collect a commission. I provide a customized marketing plan that includes professional staging, photography, videography, and drone at no cost to you. Contact me, Crystal Copas, with REMAX Real Estate Service, and let's get your house sold. 919-356-5402 or visit me at crystalcopas.com. Everyone deserves a decent place to live. Everyone. Decent shelter is something we all need to thrive. Through shelter, we empower. Visit Habitat.org to donate today. Hello, I'm Rob Beckley, lead singer of the band Pillar. I served in the Army Reserve for eight years, and it taught me lessons in teamwork, 
leadership, and organizational skills that I still use today. Serving part-time in the Army Reserve also offers skill training, money for college, and bonuses up to $20,000. So if you're up to the challenge, talk to your local Army Reserve recruiter today or check us out online at GoArmyReserve.com. You know what really gets a party started? Indoor baseball. Yeah, just find a broom or a pool cue, and you can use, like, anything as a ball. Cans, bottles, shoes. Hey, bro, toss me that avocado. Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Underage drinking and driving, the ultimate party foul. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. And now... From Sanford, North Carolina, Krista Lambert and Brandon Atkins. Got money, I got fame, fast cars and everything. Yeah. Oh. I'm on a dance, I gotta sing, rock soul blues. All right, welcome back from the cheap seats, Krista Lambert, Professor Trent Nichols, and. Uh, we were opining. I don't even know where we stopped. What were we talking about? I know I said 11 sacks, the and Cowboys. that kind of boggled my mind. We talked about the Cowboys. Oh. We were on the – Jason you Garrett. The, you were on the bandwagon. Yeah, Jason Garrett. Put Jason your pride in your Garrett. pocket. I mean – He's not calling the plays right now, though. Yeah, Scott Linehan is, but yeah. come on, man. I mean, between those two guys, and hopefully it's Linehan sees It's just like Andy Reid's not calling the plays for Kansas City. Again. Bellamy is. Again. <laughs> Who's the architect of the offense? That's the that's the real question. Um this weekend we is funny because we were talking about the options that the Jaguars had at quarterback. And there was no shortage of them. Well, the option was, hmm, we don't need a franchise quarterback. Let's take Fournette at four. Well, I don't know with with the squad that they had. I don't know that. And and see, you're going back a few years though. That that's back. You're you're going back in time. It's hard to be critical of the drafting that Jacksonville's done over the last few years because that defense is loaded. Oh yeah, loaded with talent. And they thought, having taken Bortles at the top of the draft, that this kid is going to develop into. A franchise quarterback. It hasn't happened. So you had an offensive uh, or a, a an off season come and go in which you had opportunities. Kirk Cousins as a Jaguar, we're having a completely different conversation about these guys. And Cousins is a guy that continues to amaze me because when I watch him, he does not pass the eye test for me. What about Alex Smith? They could have traded for Alex him. Smith. Would have been a nice pickup there. That would have been a, g- a good steward to come in there. And Alex Smith is underrated anyway. Um, of course, you say that, and then you look at what this Kansas City offense is doing this year versus what they were doing with the same personnel last year with Alex Smith, and it's a different level. But that's a that's a, a different debate for a different day. My question specifically, though, is John Elway out there in Denver. Hmm. Elway, when he was able to put that defense together and then go get Peyton Manning, really was kind of being looked at as the Jerry West of the NFL. Yeah. 
you know, an all-time great player. You know, a top 50 player all-time without a doubt, just like Jerry West. And now was asserting himself as the the lead dog in the franchise as putting together this dynasty. Nothing has gone right since Manning retired. And even before that, really. How close are we to the end of the Case Keenum experience in Denver? When do they punch out and say, you know what, we got to figure out how we're going to develop somebody or do something? Because Case Keenum, the adage in baseball is, you are what the back of your baseball card says you are. Case Keenum is what Case Keenum is. He was in a unique situation last year with Minnesota where he was installed and had weapons all over the place. And I think people underestimated how good Adam Thielen really is. Stephon Diggs on the other side, they had a good running game. Defense was top shelf, and Keenum didn't screw it up very often. Why anybody expected him to go to Denver and carry an offense is beyond me. But I think everybody kind of gave John Elway the benefit of the doubt. At what point do you say, eh, I'm not so sure, John. I don't know if you know what's going on anymore. So, okay, well, I think that's the closer question. Is in John we trust, how much longer? Oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. Wait a minute. John. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Well, stop. We're not going to get rid of John Elway, but he's making all the dis- decisions. He is, but if, how many? If but, they but, give but you up on to Case Keenum credit. right now, if they give up on Case Keenum right now, that's John Elway saying, "Yeah, I, I botched it again," and he can't, he won't do that. His ego won't let him. The first guy that's got to go, that will go, is Joseph. The head. Oh, coach. Vance Joseph is a dead man. Walking. I mean, you come in as a defensive-minded head coach with the number one ranked defense in the NFL, and they are horrible the two years that you've been there. Wade Phillips, son of bum. Son of bum. Had this defense rolling, and they can't do anything. They've given up 200-plus yards rushing Every the last three games in a row. Last year they started off four and zero and lost nine in a row. Right now they started off two and zero and they've lost three in a row or four in a row. Whatever it is, it's Joseph is the first one they got to go. Case Keenum, I mean they're just not. He's a game manager. He's not somebody that can carry the offense. But and and the problem with that is in a situation like he was in in Minnesota last year, with supreme talent on both sides of the ball playing at a supreme level, he was able to get it done. Well, Now, you might argue, I, go ahead. I, I, I question, how are Diggs and Theron's stats with Keenum compared to what Sanders and Damaris Thomas' stats are this year? Because they're having a heck of a lot better year than they did a year ago. What's the problem then? What's the problem is their defense. Their defense can't stop anybody. How can that be? <laughs> I have no idea. That's what I'm wondering. I, I mean, it How could starts, that be last year? I, they didn't lose anybody on defense. They lost one guy Akeem last Tlaib, year. Akeem which was a big deal. This year, they lost 
and he's injured and out, so it doesn't yes. even matter. They can't stop anybody. So what do you coach. do? What's the what's you the fire answer, the head Trent? coach? That's it. You think it's as simple as that? Yep. Well, they're not going to win. I didn't expect them to win. Heck, I think the Chargers might have a better shot of giving Kansas City a run. Obviously, you've got a dumpster fire in Oakland. Oh my God! You you fire the head coach. Woo! You go to the interim and you get ready to draft your future quarterback as the Denver Bronco. Sounds good to me. And and you That's know, for you those do. of you that 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 wonder how much <clears throat> difference does a head coach make, look no further than the L.A. Rams. The Rams under Jeff Fisher were a perpetual garbage program. Sean McVay comes in and they're pushing to be one of the best teams in football. And honestly, when it's all said and done, all of this talk about Sunday night with the with the Chargers, Jesus, with the Chiefs and the Patriots, I think people are almost numb at this point to how good the Rams are. And the Rams went out to Denver and took Denver's best shot and still found a way to win a game where they weren't clicking on all eight cylinders. You know, Jared Goff did next to nothing, only completed about 50% of his passes, and Todd Gurley goes for a gazillion yards and three touchdowns. That defense out there, that offense, when we talk about the other teams that are vying for sort of number one status in the league, most of those teams are offense-heavy teams. And you're like, well, maybe they've got enough to mitigate the defense. Then you had Jacksonville up in this until this week. And I think Jacksonville falls back to the pack with a thud this week. But you're like, eh, Jacksonville defense. The Ravens might be a team where you're like, that defense. But you, where is the weakness for this Rams squad? And there isn't because when Dude. the offensive, when the passing game is not clicking, then they have the running game, and they have the defense. The defense doesn't have to; they don't have to win nine to six games, and the defense doesn't have to shut down people. They have that luxury. The L.A. Rams are way above everybody else as the best team in football. I agree with your assessment. By absolutely, it's. A video game, and that's why I picked them to win the Super Bowl. Because if I had a video game, John Madden's football, everybody on that defense and offense is what I would put on my team, right. and I would dominate. And it doesn't matter. They, I think they'll give up one loss, maybe, but they could go undefeated. Well, the other piece of that puzzle you have to ask yourself is how good is the division that they're playing in? Their division is not good. That's what and I was getting at. Their wide receivers are dinged up. I mean, their best wide receiver right now is their third wide receiver. Everybody else is dealing with a little bit. So this team, I mean, I <laughs> the only thing I look for is okay, who it's like the Golden State Warriors. Who is gonna come out of the AFC to face the Rams in the Super Bowl? That That's may the be only the question. only question to answer. And let's take a let's take a look at the schedule. All right, the Rams come in six and zero. The thing that jumps out at you is that up until well, eh, it, it's not fair to say. 
I was going to say these games haven't been close. They they have had some close calls. Seattle gave them everything they could handle in a tough divisional game, and then Denver, you know, really gave them their gave them a handful. When you look down the schedule, they've got San Francisco twice. Yep. That's two W's. They've got Arizona, which is a W. Detroit, Chicago, W, W. Seattle gave them hell in Seattle. When Seattle comes out to L.A., they're going to get dealt with. Green Bay, they get Green Bay in three weeks. Mm-hmm. I really, really hope Aaron Rodgers is back to 100% by then. That would be fun to watch, that defense versus Aaron Rodgers with a full complement of weapons. He's been doing it handicapped, first of all, with the knee injury, but secondly, because there really has only been one receiver available to him. Geronimo Allison and Reggie Cobb are both almost back. Mm -hmm. They're close. Green Bay, if they can get healthy, that'll be one of those legitimizing wins for this Rams team if the Rams can handle it. There's three games. And they're all either playoff uh, potential matchups or a Super Bowl matchup. That's what I'm looking at. And you're looking at Green Bay, New Orleans, and KC. Nope. I'm looking at the Eagles, Packers, and KC. I'm going to tell you what. By the time we get to week 15, I think Philly's season is over. Okay. I I I disagree. I think Philly is hungover. I don't think the Saints. I think this is an interesting matchup because this will be how good the Rams' defense. This will be their their tell because their offense will run all over New Orleans' defense. That's a good point, and I wouldn't be surprised if L.A. scores 50 on New Orleans. And they could end up – if they could end up shutting down the Saints' offense. They They have three people on that offense besides Drew Brees. That they have to stop. Two running backs and uh, Thomas. Yeah, that that disturbs me about that New Orleans pass and offense. They really have nothing. You take out Thomas and Drew Brees is going to struggle with that defensive line. So those are the three games. I mean, heck, they may lose to the the Seahawks, the Seahawks, the Seahawks. <laughs> heck, the Bears may come in there and surprise them and and give them a run. I mean, but the Bears aren't very good. But dude. The Their Bears. defense is pretty good. Oh, the Bears, the Bears, the Bears. <laughs> so this weekend, for those of you who weren't paying attention, the Bears-Dolphins game went to overtime. Brock Osweiler. Brock Osweiler. Baby. How many people out there? I want you to be honest with yourselves from real quick. the dead. I want you to be very, very honest with yourselves right now. How many of you knew Brock Osweiler <laughs> even played for the Dolphins? <laughs> Because I didn't. I think I knew it in passing, but I wouldn't have been able to tell you if you asked me. No, sir. If you said, who's Ryan Tannehill's backup, I would have been Matt Moore. Brock Osweiler was home counting his money. Yeah, Matt Moore. He he just always is the Dolphins' backup. He's He's been been there. The last 15 years. All right, we'll finish that thought on the other side. Talk about how the Bears jacked one. Crystal Lambert and Brandon Atkins always help me with my draft picks, but I sure wish they would stop hanging out with Zeke Elliott. When I was just a tiny baby, I was stolen from my parents. I was imprisoned in a cramped cage and was touched and photographed completely against my will, solely for somebody's profit. Then I started to grow bigger, and they locked me away for life. If you knew that was the life of a tiger cub, 
Would you still pay to pet her? Learn how they're exploited through petting and photo ops at cubabuse.com. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career that I could be proud of. At DAV, we're on a mission, helping veterans of all generations get the benefits they've earned. I'm Cece. My victory was finishing my education. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. You're listening to From the Cheap Seats with Chris DeLambert and Brandon Atkins. But if you really want to know what's going on, Professor Trent, they should listen to you and me, Diamond Dave Kaplan. We've got a better grasp on sports, I think. It's astute analysis. Welcome back to From the Cheap Seats. All right, so we're back in uh, the Chicago Bears. Dude, Dude, wait, hold on. Uh-oh. 28 of 44, 380 yards, three touchdowns and two interceptions, and none of his passes were longer than three yards down the field. That's That's stupid. Mr. Brock Osweiler, baby. Albert Wilson, dude. How many how many fantasy ads for Albert Wilson this week? Way too many because it's never going to happen again. Oh, my God. 155 yards, oh, I think, two touchdowns. Jeez. Frank Gore, baby, circa 1992, dude, and that's 101 yards. Did you see the end of the ball game? No. Okay, so Frank Gore is gashing the Chicago defense. He's circa 2010, old school Frank Gore. Somebody's resuscitated this dude, rolled him out there in a wheelchair. He gets out. He's doing his thing. Peels off about a 40-yard run down inside the five. First and goal, they run Gore around the right side. First of all, I don't know why you're trying to run him outside. This is a between-the-tackles dude. Frank Gore at this point runs one direction. He will (laughs) blow things out trying to change directions. Gets him down to the two. Stopped, and inexplicably, Matt Nagy decides to bring Kenyon Drake in to run the ball in, punch this touchdown in in overtime to win it. Karma smiled and said, Kenyon Drake, you've been sitting watching while Frank Gore did all this work. Fumble. Recovered at the goal line by the Bears. Not Nagy. What's that? Gase is the coach. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, you're right. I'm going to get on Matt Nagy here in a minute. You're right. Adam Gase. Adam Gase puts Kenyon Drake in. Drake fumbles at the one. Now, Chicago gets two huge breaks here. First of all, obviously, they pick up the fumble. They have the ball going the other way. The officials jacked the call and determined that the ball was in the end zone and give them a touchback. That ball wasn't recovered in the end zone. It was recovered just short of the goal line. And Chicago should have been snapping that ball from inside the one. They weren't. They stretched out, touchback, 25-yard line. They get to midfield with really no resistance. They get down first and 10 at the 35-yard line. They're ready to kick a 53-yard field goal. Or Actually, they brought the, the 40. And then they run three of the most conservative running plays I've ever seen. Like, yeah, we got this in the bag including third and five, where they basically went into a goal line set and ran the ball right up the middle for nothing. And instead of chopping five or six yards or extending the drive and trying to go down and and score a touchdown, they played it conservative. Teams, 
How many times are you guys going to get burnt in overtime with missed field goals or with teams going the other way on you? Stop playing not to lose. Matt Nagy ought to be punched in the mouth for his play calls there down the stretch. Cody Parkey walks out, misses a 53-yarder. Now, this is where I have to give – we've been bashing coaches all morning. Credit to Adam Gase. On the sideline, after the fumble, Kenyon Drake, who is a big part of that offense's future moving forward, was absolutely despondent. Yeah. Teammates trying to talk to him, trying to, you know, he wasn't having it. Head covered, tears, he was broken. Gase put him right back into the ballgame, and he ran like a man possessed, had a big run, caught another ball, um, and helped the Dolphins get down there where they ultimately did successfully kick a field goal, which seems to be getting more and more difficult in the NFL. Um, Dolphins win a game they had no business winning with Tannehill out of there. That's an enormous win for the Dolphins. Enormous. Now, it probably doesn't mean anything because the Patriots still own them, but at 4-2, and two, they're a legit wildcard contender, and I don't think anybody saw that coming with this Dolphins team. You know, you subtracted Sue off of the defense – um, which was just sort of a failed experiment. I, am I wrong for thinking that, that the Dolphins have come out of nowhere? Well, no, you're not wrong. It's just a credit to actually how good, not that he's a superstar, but Tannenhill is. Oh, I mean, because last year when you took him out and you put Jay Cutler in there, they were a train wreck. It wasn't after the they subtraction the- of Tannehill that caused the problem. It was the in- it was the addition of Jay Cutler. And you and Brandon sat here and told me how great Cutler was going to be. Cutler was going to go to the gonna Pro make Bowl. the playoffs. And I told you, you guys are dumb. But Ryan Tannehill is not a horrible quarterback. Tannehill's not a, a, a horrible quarterback. It's probably middle of the pack. Middle of the pack. I'd, I'd take him I, on the Broncos. Yeah, I bet you would. It's not so much Tannehill as it is the front office, and I really like what they've done with the offensive pieces around Tannehill. And what you may see as we move forward is that Miami is in the midst of replicating what's going on in Kansas City. Their fallback when they're looking for guys to add to that roster offensively, is speed. And they're just loading up with fast guys. Now, we've seen a move over the last few years where everybody went to these great big monster receivers. Yeah. They pose a matchup problem down in short yardage situations, things like that. These guys, they can score from anywhere on the field. Well, that's what I was looking at when you were seeing these, these little dudes. Oh, yeah. Now, it takes an accurate passer, and it does cause some problems you know, in other parts of the passing game, but I think that's where the trend is headed, is to get these fast guys that are game-breakers, because what are you going to do with them? You know, you look at Albert Wilson this past weekend, you know, 155 yards on a, on a, a couple of passes that were, you know, two yards past the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. That's the future in the near term. I mean, things trend back and forth. But you look back to, I mean, think back to the to, to the days of um, the when the run and shoot first became a thing. Yeah, think back to those Houston Oiler receivers. They were all little guys that were fast and just caused you nightmares. When you can find fast guys that have got okay hands and run decent routes, I don't want to have to game plan for those guys defensively. That's just tough. 
Yeah, because now everyone's building these six, five, six, seven cornerbacks to match up with these beasts. Yeah, I mean, think about Richard Sherman. Richard Sherman's a prime example. He was sort of that next wave of cornerback, big physical, can come up and support the run, jam the guy at the line of scrimmage. How in what alternate universe could Richard Sherman check Tyreek Hill? I mean, it, it's just a physical impossibility. Mm. If you if you're able to you know give a second or two of protection to the quarterback, you just can't check these guys. Not with that type of cornerback. So we're seeing a shift, and I think what Miami's got going on down there is a good model. We really, really, really need to pay attention to that injury down there to Tannehill because Brock Osweiler throwing the ball you know, three feet past the line of scrimmage, that's not a recipe for success long term. <laughs> but it worked, and it's a great win for Miami. And Miami puts themselves in the mix as we move toward the end of the first half of the season. Kudos to Miami. I mean, a lot of people kind of laughed with, well, Kenyon Drake's there and we're going to bring in Frank Gore, but, you know, they're 4-2 and two and really are pretty close to being 5-1. and one. Um, So we'll see what happens with that. Other games, real quickly, Carolina almost pulled off the biggest uh, comeback in franchise history. They fall just short and, and uh, lose one to the Redskins, 23-17, which just clogs up the NFC East even more. That's a crapshoot. Um, you've got Philly, Dallas, Washington out there. It's a pick 'em. Mm-hmm. I, I said earlier, and I'll I'll double down on it. I really feel like if Garrett and Linehan are willing to let Dak Prescott play <coughs> quarterback like he did this past weekend, I think Dallas is going to be tough to beat for those other two teams. Philly is hung over from the Super Bowl. Um, Wentz will continue to get better as he comes back from injury, but I just the, the fire is not there. They're not the team that they were, and now they've got a real issue in the running game. Going to be interested to see how they address that. There's whispers coming that LaShawn McCoy may be headed back to Philly. Uh, that would be an interesting fit, and if you're the Bills, why not? Uh, the Bills are bad. The Bills are bad. They did push Houston this weekend. Houston may have won a season-saving game when they pulled that out against the Bills, Jonathan Joseph with the late um, interception return for a touchdown. But they moved to three and three. And in the AFC, you know, they're in the they're in the conversation. Uh Minnesota gets past Arizona 27-17. Yawn. Arizona's awful, and they will be vying throughout the season for the number one pick in the draft. John Gruden. I heard a couple of analysts talk about the fact that this was John Gruden's first trip to London as a coach. And that was surprising to me, but I think it's easy to lose sight of how long ago it is that John Gruden was a coach before this year. Yeah, The Raiders coming from California to London, which is literally halfway around the world, didn't fly in until Thursday evening. Dude, have you traveled internationally lately a distance like that jet lag is not something you get over over the course of 12 or 18 hours it takes a couple days for your circadian rhythms to get back and your body clock to be back in sync the Raiders didn't even show up for this game Um, I want to know on the other side when it's fair to call the John Gruden experiment a failure You're listening to Crystal Lambert and Brandon Adkins 
on From the Cheap Seats, a production of Cheap Seats Radio. Are you ready to sell your home and don't know which realtor to choose? Well, not all realtors are the same. I'm Crystal Copas, and I don't just stick a sign in the yard, throw it in the MLS, and hope to collect a commission. I provide a customized marketing plan that includes professional staging, photography, videography, and drone at no cost to you. Contact me, Crystal Copas, with Remax Real Estate Service, and let's get your house sold. 919-356-5402 or visit me at crystalcopas.com. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career that I could be proud of. At DAV, we're on a mission, helping veterans of all generations get the benefits they've earned. I'm Cece. My victory was finishing my education. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. I'm Chris DeLambert. I'm Brandon Atkins. I'm Professor Trent Nichols. Coming to you from the cheap seats. All right, welcome back to the second hour from the cheap seats. Chris DeLambert, Professor Trent Nichols. We've been talking NFL. We've been NFL heavy, and I want to get to John Gruden here in a minute. But in the short term, I want to take about 90 seconds, and we're going to have a Samford soccer interlude. Trent, you've been doing PA duty over with the uh, San Lee Phoenix, San Lee FC. Yes. Talk to me about the Phoenix. Because it's on Sunday afternoons or the home games. The Phoenixes. <laughs> the Phoenixes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, talk to me about what's going on over there because I, you've told me that for the two home games so far, there have been about 600 people in attendance at each one. And when you're talking in terms of, you know, professional sports around the country and we're, you know, football games have got 65, 85,000 people in attendance, whatever the case might be. College football, 100,000. For a city of 30,000 to turn out 600 folks. Paid attendance. I'm I'm impressed, man. Yeah. I'm impressed. Well, the, uh, the league that they play in, the uh, United Soccer Premier League, has about 175 teams. And generally, the creme of the creme who have been around a while get about 800 to 1,000 people. So Sanford is coming out in force. I mean, for years we've known that this could be the mecca in Central Carolina for soccer. And the support that they're giving the San Lee FC has been incredible. So the community is really embracing them. Uh, Solid team. I mean... These guys, the first home game, they looked a little nervous to start, but they got through it, and they play some good soccer. I mean, this past week they beat uh, Sparta out of Spartansburg, uh, South Carolina, 5-2. to two. Uh, An early first-half substitution bringing in Orlando Ortiz led to three goals, not one, not two, but he scored three goals. And this is a kid that actually played for the Puerto Rican uh national team wow so 
you know, and Coach Tim says, you know, as he continues to get into shape, man, he's a he's a real good player. So well, apparently he is, and that's the kind of coaching move that we expected to see out of John Gruden <laughs> this weekend. Well, you said when the John Gruden experiment was over or a bust. Well, it, yeah, when it he, was September first, oh, two thousand eighteen, the day he traded Mac away. Dude, I I don't get it, and now. Now there Cooper's are on the block. Well, not just Cooper, but Carl Joseph, the safety as well, is on the block. And and this is sort of – look, John Gruden is a lot of things. First among those is that he is a very proud guy. Mm-hmm. So his way of looking at things seems to be like, well, you know, these aren't my guys. Look, this is a team that's two years removed from the playoffs where they may have been the best team in the AFC. And I'm not saying that lightly. This is not revisionist history. If Derek Carr doesn't go down, the Raiders could beat anybody. They were playing that level of football. Carr goes down. They can't. They go limping into the playoffs, and they get bounced. Two years removed from that, Gruden is getting embarrassed on a regular basis. I don't know if it's having been away from the game so long. I don't know that it's that he had a unique group of talent when he was in uh, Oakland the first time or when he was with Tampa Bay. I don't know. But what I see right now is a team that's not even competitive. And that egg they laid in London? Come on, dude. Come on. Now, talking about London, this is the worst kept secret in the NFL. The director of NFL Operations International stated this week that all the groundwork's laid, and London is ready for an NFL team now. I didn't even know this was a thing. Western Europe, most of those governments are socialist, so the government pretty much owns everything. Wembley is on the block. Did you know that? Mm-mm. Wembley Stadium is for sale. Ooh. Do you know who is buying Wembley Stadium? Uh, the owner of the Red Sox. No. John Henry. Shad Khan, the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Oh. And when called out about it, oh, is Jacksonville going to move? No, 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 no. That's ridiculous. It ridiculous? No, it's the most obvious thing in the world ever. You're going to buy Wembley. You own an NFL franchise that still, even with as good as they've been for the last year and a half, still has to tarp seats. They cannot sell out. That is the middle of, of college football territory. Jacksonville, it's over. Well, you know what was the tell for me? What time was the Oakland-Seattle game on? It was on we, against everybody else. At 1 o'clock, Yeah. Right? What time is it normally the London game on? Oh, it's usually 8 a.m. My favorite. Sunday starts it, at you 9 a.m. kickoff. You, you know? have said that and before. So I have from 9 a.m. until midnight football all day long. But this week I was like, why is Seattle playing at one and Oakland playing at one? Two West Coast teams. I'm like, why are they in London? And why is it at one? I'm like, it's over, dude. Somebody's going to London. I, I am convinced. <laughs> now, I lived in England for several years. Then I later on I lived in Germany for several years. And back 30 years ago when the NFL sort of began this experiment and then it became a real thing 20, 25 years ago, it was a novelty. NFL Europe? 
NFL Europe was something else. And there, there were two iterations. I don't remember if you, if you realize that that was two completely different things that happened there. And I have a uh, – I have a. I think I have a Ryan Fire jersey at my oh, at my house. I wouldn't be surprised. I'm a jersey. You know, ah, I'm a jersey I, head. I can tell. Um, the thing is, is it's not a novelty anymore. Those folks understand football. They are hungry for football, and you cannot continue to treat them the way the NFL is treating them. And we're like, ah, we'll give you, you know, one ball game a year, or involving. Two random teams. If you want to get into that market, you have to give them a rooting interest. And you're talking about an entire country that would rally around that team. An entire country. Let's think about that for a minute. Until they pop like 12 teams there that play on the soccer fields all over that country. And now the winner of the Europe division plays the American division in the Super Bowl. That's not going to happen. <laughs> it will in my world. That was kind of a bizarre statement. No, we're not going to we're not going to take American football and, oh, and put a whole division in 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 England. I, I mean, I think it's inevitable though that as we move forward, it cannot be that long before we see a particular professional league in a professional sport where you legitimately are international and you have a team from Paris and a team from Tokyo and a team from Mexico City and New York that are all competing regularly in a league against one another. I I think that's got to happen at some point. To be honest, I would love to see it happen in hockey. That, to me, would be a whole lot more interesting than the NHL where we still talk about the NHL and we're like, world champions! Really? <laughs> that Russian league's pretty doggone good. Yeah. It is. Am I, am I barking at the moon here? Or well, no, because I think that's a way to, A, the NHL to make a ton of money because obviously North America, besides Canada, America is not, I mean, they have their little circle of fans. But to really spark the interest, go to all the countries that are insanely crazy about it. Well, and I'm not I'm not suggesting that the <coughs> NHL should go international next week. I am just saying that hockey would be the first one that jumps out at me. And I'm like, you know, go out there and instead of playing one game at a time, play it like baseball. Play three game series over the course of a week. That way you've got a chance to travel, you know, hit the ground play three games in five nights, and then travel to your next spot a couple days later, play it. I think it makes perfect sense. And I don't know necessarily that it's hockey or the NHL, but think about this. In the NHL, in America, you have pockets of fans that are, you know, the lifelong fans, Chicago Blackhawks, the Rangers, the Red Wings. Then you have teams like Nashville. Come on, dude. If the Preds left Nashville, would people riot in the streets? Ooh, I think you picked the wrong team. What? Arizona. Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold they on. would. Let, let's, in Nashville, let's go back they to, would. Let's go back to Nashville. Let's let's fast forward five years from now and say that Nashville has, le- has lost. They've bled talent and they've missed the playoffs for five years. Nashville I promise you. The I number one sports you. franchise in all of North America. It's because they're good. I promise you, Trent. 
They would give up? If the Predators weren't any good, nobody would come out. The Arizona's a prime example. Look at the Canes. There's all this hoopla for the Canes this year because people are like, wait a minute. You know, through five games, they've only dropped one point. They're playing great, great hockey. You and I know that for the last five or six years, if you go to watch them play the Penguins, half the place is Penguin fans. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, and you bring up a good point. Look what happened to the Penguins. They won like three Stanley Cups, and 10 years later, they were bankrupt. Yes. And nobody was coming to the games until Mario Lemieux bought the franchise and saved them. My point is, is that you've probably got six, maybe eight good hockey teams that can survive anything. The Bruins, the Blackhawks, I don't know, at least one of the New York franchises. Probably the Islanders and the Rangers, too, because New York is just still, you know, they deserve to have two teams. Whatever. Pittsburgh might be on Pittsburgh, that level now. Pittsburgh's on that level. The, the Red Wings are on that level. Beyond that, and even if we throw in Nashville, after that, I mean, the Lightning? St. If the Louis. Lightning moved, I mean, who's a Tampa Bay Lightning fan, dude? The Blues are pretty ingrained. The Blues are. Minnesota's already lost a team. Well, the other thing, too, with <laughs> to St. Dallas. Louis is if you look at this from a global concept, and I don't know where this conversation came from, but let's think about this globally. If St. Louis were the only legit Midwestern franchise out there in the farm belt, now all of a sudden you're not just talking about St. Louis, folks. You're talking about Kansas City. You're talking about all the rest of the metropolitan centers out there in that part of the uh, of the country sort of galvanizing all the hockey fans becoming St. Louis fans. Mm-hmm. Awful lot easier to be successful when you're not competing with all of these other franchises and all of these other elements. And I think international is the way we have to see things. Soccer, Americans don't want to admit it. Soccer is so much bigger worldwide than every other sport. There's not even a close second. Part of what makes it the thing that it is is that there is a legitimate international competition where there is no question at the end of the day what country is the best in the world every four years. And internationally, you have a completely different dynamic with your club teams. Mm -hmm. If you go to Europe and you're in any one of those countries, the European championships are enormous. They're that big a deal. Here in America, we're like, oh, yeah, whoever our champion is in baseball, football, basketball, whatever, they're the world champs. Dude, how much longer do you get to feel that way and double that and this is just a socio-political observation our kids don't look at America as the be-all and the end-all when it comes to anything let alone sports you know they're a whole lot more interested in K-pop and Japanese kids playing video games that they can watch than they are what's going on with American sports K-pop. We'll finish that on the other side. And I'm going to tease some trivia. You're Stay tuned. To from the cheap seats from Sanford, North Carolina. I was stolen from my parents. I was imprisoned in a cramped cage and was touched was and photographed completely against my will. Solely for somebody's profit. Then I started to grow bigger and they locked me away for life. If you knew that was the life of a tiger cub, <laughs> would you still pay to pet her? 
Learn how they're exploited through petting and photo ops at cubabuse.com. Hey, Clarice, can we please put on the new Justin Bieber album? Hold on. Dad will be mad if we don't listen to From the Cheap Seats. Welcome back to From the Cheap Seats. Welcome back to From the Cheap Seats. We are, uh, what are we, 45 minutes left? Yep. Dude, we started talking about this globalization of, of sports, man, and I got excited. Here's the thing that I'll pose to you is that it's been tried on a smaller level a couple of times, football being one of those, where they sort of tried to integrate, and at one point the CFL. Here's a trivia question for you, Trent. Mm-hmm. What's the only American team to ever win the Canadian Football League Championship, the Grey Cup. Do you know? Syracuse? No. Obviously, I don't know. know. It was the Baltimore Stallions. After the Baltimore franchise left and went to Indianapolis, Baltimore actually created a team that played in the CFL for several years, and they won a Grey Cup championship. No idea. Yeah, there you go. That's a little tidbit for you. And along those trivia lines, well, I always say rain or shine, every Thursday we do trivia at Libations at 630. Not a true statement anymore. Hurricane Michael rained us out, so we did not do trivia last week. The category that I had teased was all-time beatdowns. Now, that opens up a a wide array of categories. Is that in lieu of the McGregor? Yes. That's exactly what inspired that. So, all-time beatdowns, and and you got to think about this in a lot of context, but I will give you one that you can do a little research on. Robin Ventura took one of my favorite beatdowns of all time from Nolan Ryan, who was mm-hmm. about 44 years old at the time, and handled him when he charged the mound. That will find its way into a trivia question. And just since I'm feeling generous, one of the questions, and you're going to have to look this up. I'm not going to give you the answer to it, will be what was the widest margin of victory in a presidential election? Mm. You have any idea? Mm-mm. Oh, well. I think it was. We're gonna ride to we're gonna ride to Duke together here in a little while. Wasn't it Ronald Reagan's second term? <gasps> could have been. Maybe I'm could've not been. sure. Could have been. Could have been. I think Mondale only won Minnesota that year. Yeah, I think that's the worst. Forty nine to one state wise. I think so. I'm gonna have to validate that. I'll I'll get back in and. Go to the Library of Congress and, you know, pull some books out, do whatever. <laughs> Actually, I'll probably go to Wikipedia and, you know. Yeah, Google for me. Thank you. Yeah. So, college football. That was a uh, college football day. We haven't had it all year, so might as well have a day like that. It was a good day, wasn't it? Yes, absolutely. I, I think if that, you like underdogs and upsets, yeah, right. But if you're a uh, bandwagon first year Georgia Bulldog fan, dude, you're not very happy. Well, you know, I said before, and I and blame the guy that is running for the Patriots that uh, won me my game, Sonny, uh, leaving Sonny Georgia. <laughs> Hey, look <laughs> and Chubb. Here's the bottom line: and they can't do it. They here's can't rely the on line. From. people saw Georgia last year. And fell in love with it and somehow felt like Georgia had reached the point where they just reload. Georgia's not that program. No, not they yet. could get there, 
But they're not that program yet. When you lose talent like they lost with Chubb and Michelle leaving last year, you don't just it's not just next man up. This is not Bama. This is not Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, where you just plug somebody in and continue to go. Georgia has not been that good this year. And they've been doing it with smoke and mirrors. Jake Fromm, sophomore slump, I think it's fair to say. This was a game manager last year. And he made some nice plays in some big moments. But Jake Fromm has not progressed and and gotten to the top of the hill yet. He may still. He's a talented young man. But he's not any better this year as a sophomore than he was as a freshman in my eyes. Georgia got dealt with. And he's got the number one ranked quarterback as a freshman sitting behind him on the bench. Look out now. Yep. You know, if Kelly Bryant can be shown the door, Jake Fromm can too. Be interesting to see how long that goes on. But the SEC has kind of turned things on its ear. And LSU... Now at 6-1, and one, they're in the national championship conversation. My question to you, Trent, the precedent was set last year, and Alabama managed to get into the national championship without playing in their conference championship game. Is there any team in the SEC that has the pedigree – to get the same treatment this year is a team like Georgia or LSU or Auburn that misses the championship game good enough that the committee is going to look and say based on history based on the talent level and your performance you're good enough to get laced the way Alabama did last year and Alabama was bailed out by Tua he came in beat Clemson you know because if if Alabama went into that and was out in the semifinals, everybody would have looked and been like, committee, mm-hmm. you screwed it up. The fact that they came back and beat Clemson validates that. So they'll do it again. You know, maybe not for Ohio State. When Ohio State got laced, they got bounced early. But my question is, aside from anybody else that might be considered for the playoff this year, is there another school in the SEC that could conceivably – not win the conference championship and still make the Final Four. Think about that for a second. I think if the way the standings are currently, which is what, Alabama, Ohio State, I don't know who three is. I don't know either. Uh, and But Notre Dame is at number four and LSU is ranked number five in the playoff. I think if Notre Dame stumbles, I think potentially LSU – could be that team. Okay, first of all, I'm going to say Notre Dame's got to win out. And they have, I mean, you're looking at it, USC, Syracuse, FSU, Northwestern, Navy. If they yes. don't win out, there is, they're There is out. not a team strong enough out. on that schedule no, left. not at all. They have to win out, and if they do, it's going to be difficult for the committee to keep not, them out. Yep. And, you know, Notre Dame – Nobody has the following that Notre Dame does. I, oh, I hate to say that. Three, dummy. I got, dummy, I got you. Clemson, here's the deal. Clemson has NC State coming up. And NC State quietly is 5-0. Yeah. There were some talking heads over the weekend Brandon and I took exception with who said if Clemson loses to NC State, they're out. 
If Brandon were here, he would say these words. I'm going to try to do my best, Brandon Atkins. So they obviously don't know about ACC football because NC State, just because they mess around and beat a team like Clemson, is really, they're, they're able to lose games that they're not supposed to. And they've got Louisville and Florida State coming up on the schedule, games that they could easily lose. How'd I do? It was all right. All right. Was it astute analysis, too? It was very astute analysis. I don't agree with it, but... Oh, no, brother. Look, Brandon and I disagree Everyone often. knows that ACC football is not my cup of tea. Yeah, I have I, zero faith in it, and I, I dislike it. I, I've, I've got you there, but my thing is, is that you've got NC State... First of all, if NC State beats Clemson, that's a big deal. And, mm-hmm. yes, they should be in the conversation, and they will be in control of their own destiny because they are in the same division as Clemson, which means at that point, NC State would have to drop two games for Clemson to get into the ACC championship game. I don't think Clemson's got enough on their schedule that as a one-loss team, they're a lock to get the Alabama treatment and get into the national championship. That starts to depend on everything going on in the periphery. Mm. You know, if Oklahoma wins the, runs the table and wins their conference, they're getting in over Clemson. Bottom line. Mm. Uh, Ohio State? Because he, you only said the SEC. I don't know. Clemson, if they didn't win their conference with one loss, I don't know. They might. I mean, they've been – very consistent. Well, and you can't even look at it and say, well, how strong is their schedule? Because if you if that's the measure, definitely. Because Alabama didn't beat anybody last year. No, and not Notre the regular Dame season. Have anybody Alabama ever. just passed the eye test for everybody. Clemson, Clemson this year is not as good as Alabama was last year. Mm-hmm. That's just the bottom line. There was a lot of talk about that defensive line coming into this year. Well, there's four top ten picks on that defensive line. No, there's not. That defensive line for Clemson is what the defensive line for Clemson has become, and it's plug and play. They go get the biggest, fastest athletes out there. They put them on that defensive line, and it's been like that for a number of years now. Not much of that has translated to the NFL. Which begs the question, how long are you going to keep doing that? Because that's the enticement with these kids that are of that size and stature. Can you elevate me to the top half of the first round of the draft? Those guys, it's not really translating in the NFL for those cats. In some respects, the receivers, you could say the same thing about it. Sammy Watkins, Mike Williams, I'm looking at you. So we'll see. I mean, there's a lot to be determined. But over the last five or six years, Clemson defensive linemen, best in the country in college football. Uh, Right up there with Alabama, probably a couple notches above Ohio State and USC, other teams that just bring these kids in and and grow them. The question for me at Clemson, do they pass the eye test for the committee, where the committee says they are so much better physically than these other teams that they get the nod? And I just don't know. We'll see. And I, I I don't disagree with what you're saying. That would be the one other team that's out there where I'd be like, yeah, yeah, maybe them. I think that Ohio State, who is number two right now, and deservedly so, Ohio State will not if they don't win their conference. They're a flawed team. That offense is as good as anybody in the country. Defensively, they are bad. 
bad. Well, the Big Ten is bad this year, too. The Big Ten's not doing them any favors. However, wait just a minute. The Big Ten might have pulled what was a disastrous regular season out of the fire. We'll talk about that on the other side, too. You're listening to Krista Lambert and Brandon Adkins on From the Cheap Seats, a production of Cheap Seats Radio. Welcome back to The Cat Show. Up next, we have Nico. Nico is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right. A group known especially for their sunspot sleeping, ball chasing, leg rubbing, and of course, companionship. Just look how she struts. It's like she owns the place. And see how she curls up and cuddles her person. The pitch on her purring is simply perfect. Nice one. Fantastic cat. But really the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Nico is to meet one. Visit theshelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Hello, I'm Rob Beckley, lead singer of the band Pillar. I served in the Army Reserve for eight years, and it taught me lessons in teamwork, leadership, and organizational skills that I still use today. Serving part-time in the Army Reserve also offers skill training, money for college, and bonuses up to $20,000. So if you're up to the challenge, talk to your local Army Reserve recruiter today, or check us out online at GoArmyReserve.com. You too can be Army strong in the Army Reserve. You're listening to From the Cheap Seats with Chris DeLambert and Brandon Atkins. You may not like your seats, but you'll love the show. All right, talking about college football, and I guess it's the the beginning of the, the time of year where we start to talk about the national playoffs. Georgia right now in the playoff prediction models is seeded at five. That to me is interesting because Georgia might actually be in better shape if they were in Alabama's division because best case scenario for them is that they win their division and have to play Alabama in the SEC championship. And I don't want to talk in absolutes because football is a great game because anybody can beat anybody on a given weekend. The likelihood that this Georgia team in 2018 is going to beat this Alabama 2018 team is minimal at best. Minimal. So Georgia's going to have their fate in their own hands, and they've got work to do to win their division. If they get through and beat Bama, they're going to be in the playoff. They're going to have to go unscathed, but really, well, do they even need to go unscathed? I guess here's the better question with that. if they, Let's say they drop another game along the line and they're a two-loss team and they beat Alabama. Does Alabama get the nod? I don't know. Anyway, that's far too hypothetical. But back to the Big Ten, what I wanted to say was that you've got what started as a disastrous regular season for the Big Ten. Big Ten's not bad at this point. You got Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State that are all having good seasons. Michigan's dropped that game to Notre Dame. It actually looks pretty good since then. Not half as good as Michigan folks would like you to think, but Penn State's a good ball club. Michigan's a good ball club. 
Ohio State is, and there's a really good chance that when it's all said and done, those games that all those teams that all reside in that same division in the Big Ten are going to finish the season with one loss to someone other than themselves at the end of the season, and that being Notre Dame having beaten Michigan. But Ohio State's already beaten Penn State. They've got to still beat Michigan. Michigan has both of those teams still on their schedule. They're going to do some beating up on one another. I think that the winner of that comes out of the Big Ten as your national or your playoff championship representative from the Big Ten. And Penn State, I, you know what? I'd give any one of those teams a puncher's chance against anybody other than Alabama. Mm-hmm. Bama's that much better than anybody else this year. They're balanced. You can't even look at them and say, well, there could always be an injury because even if Tua goes down, you got Jalen Hurts out there. Now, Jalen Hurts, anybody that has let, or excuse me, Tua, anybody that's let the words Heisman Trophy candidate come out of their mouths with regard to this kid, stop. Stop it now. You can't play half a game every week and win a Heisman Trophy. And if he wins this Heisman, regardless of how talented he is or anything else, having basically played halves of games and splitting time with Jalen Hurts, we, we should stop giving the Heisman Trophy away. Wasn't he injured this week, though, Tula? I think he got injured. Does it really matter? <laughs> no. I mean, you roll Jalen Hurts out there. And, you know, the other part of that, too, is when you look at a Heisman Trophy candidate, you're I, I'm looking for somebody who has – raised the level of play of the guys around him and propelled a team to something special. Dude, you take two off that team, put Jalen Hurts in there, they're 7-0. and uh, Bottom line, and they're number one in the country. Yeah. I just cannot get down with the hype for Tua right now for the Heisman Trophy. How do you feel about it? Yeah, uh, I think you made a very valid point that – he wouldn't be the Heisman Trophy winner. You'd have to look at other people. I don't really know anybody else that would be in the conversation, uh, but I wouldn't have even had him in the conversation because, I mean, anybody on Alabama, you take them out, there's somebody else there. So to me, that's not the uh, that's not the Heisman. That's a stewed analysis, Trent. No, it's not. It was me mumbling and <laughs> Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Sorry. I got no thoughts on the Heisman. I haven't focused on it at all. Well, who's the best college football player you've seen this year? Because I'm going to tell you that the best that I've seen this year is Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray, to me, is a next-level athlete who is playing on an Oklahoma team – that doesn't have amazing athletes around him, that kid is one of the greatest athletes I've ever seen. And I can't wait for him to go to baseball. Yeah, right. (laughs) We'll see how that works out. Those of you that don't know how this works, it's not that uncommon for a guy to go to college, play a little bit of football, and then go play minor league baseball. Yeah. He'll be back. He'll be back. He'll be back. Okay. Um. We'll see. I mean, the option is there, and it's kind of it's kind of maddening the way the NCAA gangsters do this. 
he will maintain NCAA eligibility even while he plays professional football so that if a couple years from now he is not progressing through the A's farm system the way he thinks he ought to, he can come back and play some football. And it's happened. Um, Ricky Williams was a non-scholarship player at the University of Texas. He was a baseball guy. Mm -hmm. Um, Kelly Washington at the University of Tennessee back in the day had one of the great nicknames of all time, the future. Um, He was about 27 when he graduated from Tennessee playing football. Um, Brandon Whedon, a couple years ago with Oklahoma State, you know, had had failed at minor league baseball. It happens. Kyler Murray, when you look at small quarterbacks, when you look at little guys, Russell Wilson sort of created the situation on the heels of Drew Brees. Drew Brees was an absolute pioneer mm-hmm. when it comes to quote-unquote undersized quarterbacks. And I say undersized. Drew Brees is almost as tall as me. I'm 6'1". And nobody has ever said, you're a little guy. So, But when you start looking at that and the ability to look over top of the, the uh, line of scrimmage and the rest of that, Drew Brees probably 5'11 and a half, 5'11". They love to call him six foot. But people just felt like you, you can't effectively play quarterback. Brees' success created a situation where Seattle felt empowered to put Russell Wilson out there. Russell Wilson is the most undersized of undersized guys when it comes to NFL quarterbacks, but he is a world-class athlete. He's the type guy, if you play flag football with, you will never get him down. He will score on every play because he sees things a different way and has the ability to move laterally, the short area quickness. You're just not going to get a hand on him. That's the type athlete that guy is, and he can throw a football 65 yards through the air on a rope. Those guys don't come around very often. Yeah, that helps. Kyler Murray is an even better athlete than Russell Wilson. And Kyler Murray as a freshman, this is heresy here in North Carolina. I say right now Kyler Murray as a freshman is a better quarterback than Russell Wilson when he was a junior at NC State and a senior at Wisconsin. Hmm. That is high praise. It's as high as I can heap. Baker Mayfield was a great college quarterback. I would take Kyler Murray as a freshman over Baker Mayfield as a senior. Hmm. Do you think that will impact his decisions and he stays? No. Baseball money is grandkid money. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's guaranteed. Well, it's already, what, $3 million a year or something like that he signed Well, for. and that's, you know, that's that first, first, first time through the shoot. Yeah. Kyler Murray, if he successfully plays baseball, can play baseball for the next 15, 18 years, guaranteed money. You've got guys make sitting a on. a billion dollars. Oh, my God. I mean, legitimately. Yeah. The problem that I first, well, it's not a problem because I don't know. I want to see how much pop Kyler Murray's got in his bat. He's a little guy, relatively speaking. And in a day and age where we trot out these huge sluggers, you know, we look at it, Mookie Betts is the one guy who's sort of same stature as as Kyler Murray. Betts has that kind of pop, but it's not that common for those guys to have that well, kind of pop in their I think he's in, in the, the right system, though. The Oakland A's, they're not really – well, never mind. They had the Bash brothers, but they're not really set up with those – 
huge home run. They don't rely. They're not well, like the, the Yankees. You know, the birthplace of analytics. The, the money ball era, the thing baby. With, the thing with the A's is, you know, where's Murray going to play next? Because they deal everybody. You know, they get them in, and as soon as they see that those kids are good, they're like, ah, we're going to ship to someplace else before they become expensive. It's just how they roll. Yeah. So, you know, is he going to be a Yankee? Is he going to be a Dodger or a Met? You know, one of the other big market clubs. But, no, if he has the chance to play, when you look at it economically, baseball's not even – it's not even a question. Yeah, you go play baseball. Um, now, if he gets into the minors and he can't hit the curveball – Come on back to football because that baseball money's there. And I don't know exactly what the terms of the contract are that he signed with the A's. I know that he was allowed to play as a freshman and then not anymore. But they could easily go back in and renegotiate that. There could be a buyback. There could be all kinds of things that happen. Um, I do think Kyler Murray is an absolutely supreme athlete who is special. This is the guy that we've seen at some of these small schools where you have a mobile quarterback and you're like, oh, my God. You know, that dude's a nightmare and puts his team on his back. But this guy throws the ball like an NFL passer right now as a freshman. Hmm. This kid won a state championship in the state of Texas. He was undefeated as a four-year starter in high school. 43-0. and as a high school quarterback in Texas, four consecutive state championships. That's unprecedented. There's nobody even on that same level. There is no litmus test left for him to pass. And then he comes to Oklahoma, goes 5-0 and through the first, loses a garbage game to Texas. I think Oklahoma wins out, frankly. And at the end of the day, Kyler Murray gives them a chance to beat anybody in the country. That's how high I am on him. And that's coming from an Ohio State guy who's watching Dwayne Haskins have an amazing year. Well, you just jinked Kyle. Sorry, yeah, right. Kyle. Jinxed yeah. him. We'll finish up on the other side. You're listening You're to From the Cheap Seats. To from the Cheap Seats from Sanford, North Carolina. <laughs> Everyone deserves a decent place to live. Everyone. Decent shelter is something we all need to thrive. Through shelter, we empower. Visit Habitat.org to donate today. My name is Forrest, Forrest Gump. My mom always told me, you don't have to sit down close to see the action. Sometimes it's better from the cheap seats. And that's all I got to say about that. Welcome back to From the Cheap Seats. Welcome back from the Cheap Seats. Professor Trent Nichols, I'm the sole survivor. No one can stay as long as I can. And you know what? That's fine by me. I will do whatever it takes to keep you people happy out there, our lovely listeners, and we love you all for it. Hey, you know what? This week starts. It's been 180 days. NBA basketball, baby. Tuesday night, you have the Sixers versus the Celtics, followed by the Thunder and the Warriors. You could be looking at, right now, these first two games of the year. I mean, these could be the conference finals games. I mean, Warrior and Thunder and the uh, Celtics and Sixers definitely have a shot. It'll be interested to see how the 
new look Celtics with a man named Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward actually getting to hopefully play for longer than five minutes on the team. And of course, all of the world is waiting on the king, LeBron James, to make his Laker debut. That will come Thursday night at 1030 against the Trailblazers on TNT if you want to tune in for that. So I'm pretty pumped up. It gives me something to uh, keep my mind off the Broncos. We've got uh, Blackhawks hockey in full swing, and now the Celtics back on the court. So that should be interesting. Uh, Not really sure what is more exciting. The Golden State Warriors, to me, are kind of like the L.A. Rams. They are kind of a shoe-in. Might as well pencil them in the finals right now, and it's more of a battle of who's going to come out of the East, who's still a pretty good pretty good conference. You got the Celtics, which I think are above all else this year if they can stay healthy. Then uh, Toronto's still a good-looking team. Philly, up-and-coming team, could be uh, in contention. Uh, Milwaukee with the Greek freak, Crystal Lambert's favorite uh, favorite player there in the NBA coming up. They could uh, make a run at it. So it should be interesting. It's a long season, so we probably won't focus too much on that uh, going forward until uh, some of this football stuff dies down. Uh, t- tonight, Monday, as we tape this show, you got the Packers and 49ers. That should be you know, a typical Monday night boring game. The Packers should uh, get back, right the ship, become three and two there. And then a brutal game on Thursday night. I thought they were supposed to have good football games on Thursday night. You got the Broncos and the Cardinals. Dude, that's two dogs back to back, man. How must the networks be feeling about those? Well, I mean, they said football is back on Thursday, but this is like, okay, what are you guys playing for? Draft pick? position now for real and you know it's it, it is going to be an interesting game because i am a i'm i mean we're deep fans of football so i'm going to tune in to watch rosen versus mayfield but come on man as a as a casual fan no rosen versus case keenum oh my fault yeah yeah my fault um dude the broncos aren't the browns yet we're trying they're not yet talk to me in like 10 years dude but this the monday night game I mean, how must the network feel? That must have been a gym when they're like, oh, yeah, we got Jimmy Garoppolo and Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Yeah. No, you got Aaron Rodgers on one leg and C.J. Beathard. Oh. Brutal. Come on. Yeah, tomorrow, NBA. And and, and I got to say, you you corrected me thinking that I was comparing the Broncos. I thought it was the Browns and Cardinals. Yeah, it's, it's the Broncos and Cardinals? The Broncos and I'm Cardinals. not watching. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to wash my hair. I may not even watch. I don't know what I'm doing. Now, come on. I'll watch. I think the Blackhawks play. I'll play. I'll watch the Blackhawks. Jeez. I'll watch the Celtics. No, I'll watch LeBron, his game. First game. You know game. what you haven't said Third you're going to watch? Who? It's baseball. Oh, shoot. Yeah, I watch that every night. I'm sorry. I didn't know. Well, there might not be a game that night. There's no Brandon here. We could actually. Dude, we should have done like two hours of baseball. I know, right? Eh, there's next week. Because we're we're getting toward the World Series. And once we, you know, get on the precipice of the World Series, we'll actually talk about it. Well, Chris Sale, first game, Red Sox, uh, Astros. Sale is in the hospital now with a stomach injury, not injury, illness. So the Astros come out and win seven to two. Looks like 
Boston was going to go away quietly. But then last night, Boston came out, even though David Price could only last four innings and won seven to four. Well, if you're getting anything from Price in the postseason, you'll take it. Because um, he's yeah. historically had his struggles. Yep. So, but those we'll are see. fun series tonight. Game three: Dodgers Brewers. Which I was surprised the Dodgers took a game in Milwaukee because that's kind of my little uh, my uh, guilty pleasure. I'm rooting for the brute, the Brujas to. I, you know what? The I think series. the Brewers can. It's funny because people say, "Well, you know, the Dodgers are the team are the only team that can stack up with the with the American League." Nonsense, dude. The Brewers are a better team. I think. That's because you don't know anybody on the Brewers. The Dodgers just steal a bunch of overpriced people. Yes, because they kind you know? of you know and they've been around for a long time. You don't know who the Brewers are, so of course they're going to think they could stack up. I think the Brewers, Brewers are nasty. Yeah, they could stack up better. You got to remember, the Brewers beat out the Cubs. Yeah, and won their division. Yeah, so with eight straight wins down the stretch, fairly creme of the creme when it comes to baseball. Well, and here's the. Here's the question. I wish we had another half hour to talk about this. How soon do we need to look at Joe Madden and say, man, you're not getting it done? That Cubs team, when they won the world championship a couple years ago, we looked and said, man, it's just, you're just going to count them up. Now they can't get back to the World Series. It's two years in a row where, yes, I get that they had a nice regular season, but you have to say they've underachieved for the last two years. The window of opportunity for the Chicago Cubs is small, very finite. You've got some enormous contracts coming down the pipe. And you want to close it? Go sign Harper like everyone wants. Dude. Game over. You're going to lose half those bats. Half? You're going to lose them all. I I mean, mean, we'll see. If you add Harper there, you better win a World Series immediately because Bryant, Rizzo, Baez, those guys all have to get paid. And your ancillary players that are there already, those guys are going to be, hey, where's mine? Mm-hmm. Where's mine? And people don't even – we, we pretend that there is no salary cap in the major leagues. There is. There is not an unlimited amount of resources regardless of the market and your media contracts. Joe Madden, whom a lot of people see as a Hall of Fame manager, has to be held accountable. Mm-hmm. You got one World Series championship, and I know that bought him a lot of rope. Well, there is a with lot the Cubs of excuse- fans. Oh, we were injured, dude. Oh, well, welcome to Yard 162 Darvish. games of, Darvish of baseball. Didn't pitch well, he didn't even pitch, and nobody told you to go uh, sign Darvish. Russell had his off-season problems and uh, suspended. They have all the excuses in the world, dude. You look Cubs up fans, and down baby. that lineup. There's no way they should have lost. There's no way those hitters should have been hitting the way they did the last month of the season no. and playoffs. Well, and you look at it's Rizzo ridiculous. getting out of the gate. Rizzo couldn't hit anything for the first month and a half of the season. Nothing. Come on, man. Well, maybe this is it for Madden. One more year. They have an extended amount of time to rest. Those guys, those kids have been playing a lot of baseball yeah. the last two years, unfortunately, for us non Is that fans. really that's Trenuous, though? I think. <laughs> and playing a lot of baseball? Shut up! Yes. I mean, it's I not it much different people. than playing slow-pitch softball, and I've played in slow-pitch tournaments where I've played seven or eight games in a day. Well, maybe not. I, I mean, I, I look at it like the run the Blackhawks had. They played a ton of hockey, and I gotcha. it all came crushing down. And this year, 
they came out of the gate looking good. Young, fresh legs. Maybe that's what the Cubs need. All right, so the NBA opens up this week. We will Tuesday, be, baby. We will be recapping looks for all intents and purposes, like Jimmy Butler's going to start the season as a Timberwolf. I like that, as a Timberwolf. A wolf. Yeah. Um, we'll see. They don't play till Wednesday, I believe. When Bricky so. gets back in, we, he and I have had many, many conversations about what's going on with Jimmy Butler out there. Apparently, ownership and Jimmy Butler have come to an agreement. Glenn Taylor, the owner of the T-Wolves, has gotten an assurance from Jimmy Butler that he will start to play and that he will play with the normal amount of effort that he has been known for playing with, which is weird. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Carl Anthony Towns cannot be excited about this. Andrew Wiggins has been mum through this entire period, which is kind of weird. Yeah, credit um, to him. Yeah, well, yeah. Maybe. I mean, be a credit to him if he's actually played some defense and, and look like a guy that wanted to win a championship. Um, we'll give our NBA rankings – and where we see these teams seated as we move forward, um, I will tease that by telling you that if Jimmy Butler is not on the T-Wolves, they're going to miss the playoffs, which is a shame because I last year I think I had them third and probably would have had them up in the top four this year based on the potential of that triumvirate that they had constructed that is now completely imploded. Yeah. Um, and – my favorite part of the weekend was the report that Pat Riley called Tom Thibodeau an MF. That was awesome to me. Apparently, there was a deal in place between the Heat and the T-Wolves with Josh Richardson, Dion Waiters, and a one going to the T-Wolves. And then Thibodeau got back on the phone and was like, nah, we're going to need another draft pick. And so, Pat Riley called him an MF and hung up on him. Would have you taken that? that? What's that? Is that a fair draw for uh, Butler, who's leaving uh, next yeah. year anyways? Because your alternative that the Timberwolves seem to be not wrapping their heads around is that this guy is going to leave for nothing next year, which puts them in a position where, yeah, they'll have a max slot where they could replace that salary. Who in the hell is coming to Minnesota? Looking forward at this next free agent class, there's not a player of the magnitude of Jimmy Butler that is going to seriously consider Minnesota. Uh, you subtract Minnesota, Butler from this Minnesota team, it's rough. Josh Richardson is a young player with a good contract, shoots lights out from long range, helps with spacing. They get a one back from the heat. That actually probably should be a lottery pick. And Dion Waiters, Waiters is is being looked at as at the, by the heat as a bad contract right now. Waiters is not a bad guy to plug in there at the two. Um, and... Minnesota can absorb that salary. So I think it's a good deal for Minnesota. Get what you can while you while you do it and build this team around Wiggins and Cat. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if the deal gets done today or early tomorrow. I, I still I believe. I don't think Butler will play a game for Minnesota. I tweeted this weekend, and I meant it. The reports coming out of Houston are that Houston is being asked for Eric Gordon and P.J. Tucker in exchange for Jimmy Butler. They don't want to give up P.J. Tucker. If P.J. Tucker is the sticking point, Jimmy Butler's going to be a rocket. Hmm. I get why they like Tucker. Tucker's a guy that doesn't need a, his, uh, the ball in his hands. He's a tough guy. He's a glue guy. This is Jimmy Butler we're talking about, who gives you everything on the floor that P.J. Tucker would and probably even a little bit more diversity um, or versatility. I think Butler ends up – with the Rockets when it's all said and done. Um, that's just where I see it. It still won't matter. I don't know. When we talk about it, it doesn't matter. Why would the Heat be making a play for Jimmy Butler? 
What do they gain? He's the not going to re-sign there. They're in the East. They're horrible. They made the playoffs. Okay, great. They made the playoffs as were they an eight? Or were they a seven? Seven. They were seven or eight. They're not any better this year. Okay. They're they're a mess. When he gets down to Miami and works with Spolstra and sees the no taxes and the life that you can live in Miami, he'll maybe. stay. Maybe, maybe he'll stay. Maybe Kyrie will go down there with him. No. I crazy. Kyrie says now he wants to stay in Boston. Oh, kind of he flipped everybody. Committed it. Three times, every time anybody asks, I'm going to be here. This is it. I'm signing. I'm re-signing with Which is Boston. interesting. My question is, is whether this has anything to do with Jimmy Butler because the the talk had been for quite a while, Butler and Kyrie want to go together yeah, somewhere. To Brooklyn. And now all of a sudden they don't. And the report's coming out about Jimmy Butler. I don't know if it's, if it's Minnesota spinning this real well behind the scenes, but the report's coming out about him – you know, being locked out of the Olympic team and things like that, that's very interesting. All right, thanks for hanging out with us. We'll see you next week. This has been From the Cheap Seats, Chris DeLambert and Professor Trent Nichols. You're listening to Chris DeLambert and Brandon Adkins on From the Cheap Seats, a production of Cheap Seats Radio.